From the campus of Harvard Medical School, this is Think Research, a podcast devoted to the stories behind clinical research. I'm Abby. And I'm Brendan, and we're your hosts. Think Research is brought to you by Harvard Catalyst, Harvard University's Clinical and Translational Science Center. And by NCATS, the National Center for Advancing Translational Sciences. There are some elements of medical education that are not taught in traditional medical school. Different cultures have an impact on mentorship, feedback, communication styles, and even clinical practice. Shuba Ramani saw that a formalized training in these areas was lacking for medical students and began her research on health professions education and educational research methodologies. Dr. Ramani is an associate professor of medicine at Harvard Medical School. Hi, Dr. Ramani. Welcome to the show. Thank you for inviting me. Of course. I'm looking forward to this conversation. Happy to have you. Um, So you're a professor of health professions education. When did you become interested in studying health education? Uh, It's a very good question. I really started, I mean, I'm a clinician, as you know, and I really started with teaching in the clinical setting, having always been interested in teaching. So uh, the first thing I did, this was way back in 2002, I wanted to really improve my own teaching skills. I come from a family of teachers, my mother, my aunts, and so on. So teaching was very much in my blood. But then once I went to attend this course at Stanford, um, the course provided exposure to a lot of professors of education from the Stanford School of Education. And so I knew that I hadn't even touched the tip of the iceberg in terms of the science of education. And that's when I got interested. So you did your medical degree in India and you studied in Europe and the U.S. What are some of the ways medical education differs in different parts of the world? Um, Actually, I studied in Europe only for my master's in medical education and my Ph.D. And it was a blended program. So some of it, it wasn't like a full time student. Mm -hmm. I already was in faculty positions. However, I I can certainly tell you some of the differences which are in North America, um, medical education starts after a graduate degree. Mm -hmm. In much of the rest of the world, it's an undergraduate degree. Mm -hmm. So you can just imagine going to school, medical school at age 18 (laughs) versus 22, 23. Uh, And I will say, and that's how I went to medical school. I was... 17 and a half, I believe. So no life experience whatsoever, high school to medical school, then residency, and then so on. So one might argue, and I've heard these arguments, that you're not quite so mature uh, (sighs) when you go into an undergraduate program. On the other hand, one could counter argue that you actually spend a lot more time immersed in medical education versus the four years here. Mm. So it's hard to say, uh, and so those are the two big differences. So undergrad versus graduate, and then you know the, the time you spend in medical school studying the so-called medicine, subjects of medicine, is shorter here and longer um, elsewhere. So those would be the two big differences. And I talked about the mental maturity or lack thereof, but people will have to decide about that. 
Um, in 2018, you received a PhD in health professions education at Maastricht. That's uni- right. University in the Netherlands. Um, your research focused on giving feedback in the context of medical, medical education. Can you tell us about why you were interested in studying feedback in particular? Uh, sure. So one of the, you know, when I started my own professional development as an educator, as a teacher, and in education, I would say broadly, uh, one of the areas I definitely thought I was lacking skills in was engaging in feedback. In fact, you said giving and receiving feedback. And in fact, the result of my research, I don't call it giving or receiving. It's actually engaging in a feedback conversation. It is bi-directional. And so I have gone completely away from, you know, thou shall give and thou shall receive uh, sort of feedback. So why did it, so one, two, I got interested because I felt my own skills were lacking uh, in, uh, you know, many Asian countries and perhaps African countries as well, where uh, students are much more used to scolding. You never get praise. Uh, and so that was, I was quite accustomed to that. But in North America, the students are not used to that. Uh, we better not scold any yes. of our learners here, right? <laughs> and so, and I said, oh, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think I've been given so-called reinforcing or positive feedback growing up. And therefore, I was not necessarily very skilled at it. And somebody, and as part of my uh, professional development, I had to take myself during a teaching session and experts would view and debrief. And they said, did you notice you give uh, constructive feedback rather politely and respectfully, but I didn't hear a word of positive feedback. <laughs> and that started me thinking, oh, well, this is a different beast than I knew. Right. And I started engaging in studying the literature on feedback. Then um, a lot of wonderful Canadian education researchers mm. have done, have studied gone very much away from the skills of giving feedback and into the culture of feedback in Mm. theories, psychosocial theories that influence the practice of feedback. And I would say I stood uh, on the uh, the shoulders of those giants and I said, this is fascinating and I want to add to the, uh, advance the field of feedback Mm. through that sociocultural lens. Mm. And that's the, that's the answer, long answer to your question. No, it was perfect. I really liked what you were saying about engaging in a feedback conversation, that it's bi-directional. So I work in Ghana in some schools sometimes outside of Harvard. And that is such an interesting, it's an interesting dichotomy to see, right? Because I grew up in the U.S. and went to school here, but I can see exactly what you're talking about. It is true. And it's an interesting conversation to even have with the teachers and the educators there, younger kids, but same concept. So you know, I'm like curious it. too. In Ghana, is it the same as, say, South Asia or East Asia, where teachers might say, "Well, why should I say anything positive to the yes. students? They are supposed to do good work." Exactly. That's <laughs> pretty much it. <laughs> it it it's a very interesting conversation we have because I'm uh, ethnically I'm Nigerian and American, so it's always that kind of um, two sided brain. But it's interesting. That is interesting. I always like to bring societal culture into the conversation because it makes us who we are much of the time. 
How is feedback incorporated into medical education? Yes, I must uh, confess that after all the conversation we had thus far, in medical education, it's still very much a how do you give feedback Mm. and much of the faculty development, and you may have seen this at the medical school as well, much of feedback workshops are about teachers giving, you know, Mm -hmm. sort of unidirectional, static uh, in a way. And I think people are changing. I'm very happy to say that learners' reflections are getting more and more incorporated or facilitated in the first place. How do you think you did? How can I help you? So there is a bit of exchange going on, but Mm. we still have ways to go before we make it truly bidirectional. And um, so uh, in, in, uh, I would say in Canada, Australia, and many other countries, and the US is still, I think, wetting its toes in this. Uh, People are talking about bringing coaching principles to the field of feedback in medical education, Mm. meaning, what is coaching? I mean, it's, the, and people have likened it to say sports as well as music. Uh, performance is never gauged without observation. Whereas mm-hmm. in medicine, we do that. I mean, we, we have our learners coming and reporting after their you know, uh, interview with a patient to us, and we haven't verified every aspect of it. For example, that's very different than sports or music, where the teacher is observing everything that the learner is doing. So that's one. And uh, therefore, um, and uh, well, the second uh, issue or challenge, I would say, is are the teachers and learners on the same page Mm. in terms of expectations? What is your expected performance? Because you need to know that. You need to know what the goal is in order to be able to calibrate where you are right now and then literally calculate the distance between where you are and the goal, mm-hmm. right? right? And this has to be a bi-directional conversation between the teacher and the learner. Therefore, I think sharing what are your performance expectations very clearly and concisely and on both sides and making the teachers and learners Um, make shared decisions, just like patients and physicians, for example, Mm -hmm. Uh, that would be a good thing. I don't think we're there yet because it's often people, one party or the other, are confused. So sharing expectations Mm -hmm. and then having uh, teachers being trained to facilitate reflections amongst the learners about their current uh, performance, what is the gap in their performance, and then how can we narrow this gap? That is coaching. But not just that, how can we narrow this gap? What are the steps to narrow this gap? Right. Let's discuss. And then uh, future opportunities. Go on and try this out. Let's do this again. Or mm. if I'm not going to be working with you, someone else needs to do, do this again with you. Right. So in your research, what did you find about giving and receiving feedback? So uh, there were there were some interesting findings, I would say. One, uh, I studied it at my medical center uh, the, uh, at the Brigham, as you know, and and it, I don't think it's that different than any of the other Harvard affiliated hospitals. Mm-hmm. Maybe minor differences. So it was very very fascinating to see my residents. Uh, say that there is a culture of politeness. No one likes to hurt anybody else. Okay. 
And therefore, what is the consequence is nobody gives any constructive feedback. Hmm. And uh, there are, there's a research, uh, some researchers have actually cal- uh, you know, looked at, examined all the narrative comments, feedback comments that in me- medical teachers give to their students. And a pleasure to work with is the most common, <laughs> followed closely by good job. <laughs> so in, in neither of those allow patient, I mean, the, the learners to grow. So that's mm-hmm. one thing. So there was this. At the same time, this although everyone was polite with each other and didn't like to hurt anyone's feelings, I had turned around and asked the learners, do you give feedback to your supervisors, your faculty? Mm-hmm. And they said, no. So if it's truly a culture of politeness and niceness, then there should be bi-directional conversations. Mm. So I find that a paradox. Okay, so the, right. we're, we're talking about flattening the hierarchy, we're making the environment a very safe learning environment, and yet we're not get, get, getting reverse feedback or upward feedback. Mm. So there is a paradox. The other uh, a piece of um, information that I have is uh, to question our medical institutions, not the learners, not the teachers, but the whole culture of medical education, mm-hmm. are we promoting a growth mindset amongst our learners? A spirit of collaboration, a spirit of, oh, if I fail this time, I'm going to work harder and I'll succeed. Okay, and I'll grow. Mm-hmm. Uh, rather than how do I look to other people? What is my image uh, is someone damaging my self-esteem? Do I look bad compared to my peers? So I, th- I think maybe if you compare 10, 15 years ago, it's much better now, but uh, we, we definitely have a long way to go. So that's, mm. that's another mindset. And I would talk about honest, meaningful, bi-directional conversations, uh, which do not necessarily inst- instill judgment on people. It's not like you're a bad person, you're a good person, right. but really you are, a, you know, if you, uh, 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 this might be interesting. If you think of babies and their milestones, for example, mm-hmm. you don't say you're a bad baby because you didn't, you didn't hold yeah. your head up at a certain time, right? It just say you're developing. Yes. So that's how we are as human beings. We are developing. So, and we're going along in different, at different rates and mm. we'll all get there. So that's, that's a great sort of my two big points, I think. Yeah. Um, And we started to talk about this a little bit about culture and um, Mm -hmm. how it may affect receiving feedback. How does culture affect giving and receiving feedback? And I may have like a second question embedded in this because when you were talking, I thought about the dynamics um, of growing up of instructor versus student. And the way that that is kind of a a cornerstone in most cultures is that there is a relationship there that you listen, you receive, you listen. You don't usually talk back to the teacher. And so I'm wondering if we can talk about culture and how it affects giving and receiving feedback, but how that element of, honestly, kind of worldwide, that feels like a standard that there is a position for instructor and student. So glad you said that. So I'll go, I'll tackle the first one, uh, first question first, which is a culture. And when I say culture, I was referring to the institutional culture or the learning culture as Mm -hmm. as it's been, not so much societal culture Uh yet. Uh, But 
so the learning culture, you know, I, I looked into or, or I applied Shine's, Edgar Shine, Professor Shine from the Business School, his mm -hmm. work on culture and organizational culture, which he says there are three levels. One is the unwritten, this is how we are, or this mm -hmm. is the way we do things. Nobody knows, but then if somebody new comes in, they are indoctrinated with this invisible culture. And then the next is uh, written expectations and mission statements and visions and values. And that's all over. We can see that in our documents at our institutions. But then uh, there's a most visible level, which is how individuals behave in an organization. Mm -hmm. And the behavior is, is also not just based entirely on the values. And they may, in fact, frequently conflict with the values and the mission. Because day-to-day -day emergencies come up, challenges comes, come up, barriers are there to behaving a certain way. Right. And so there are three levels, and all three levels in some aspects may coincide, in some aspects may con completely conflict with each other. So that's, um, that is uh, one fun aspect of thinking about culture. Mm -hmm. So when people say, oh, let's change the culture, <laughs> so... <laughs> It's impossible. It's just, a, it will take, you can change one, tweak one aspect of culture. Right. And in fact, the management uh, world says, uh, research, especially research at the business school and other schools, they say it takes two years to change one, one small aspect of culture. Hmm. And yet we so easily talk about, oh, let's change the culture. Hmm. Um, so that, that's one thing. It's, it's a big beast. Right. And we have to tackle it one thing at a time and prioritize what aspects of culture we need to uh, change, we absolutely must change mm -hmm. in order to provide a positive learning environment. So that's that's the first part. The second um, corollary would be, but the same learning culture is going to vary in different parts of the world. Mm -hmm. So I was talking to some of my colleagues in Singapore, and uh, I did one research project with a colleague in Thailand. And the same North American research on feedback, which says nobody wants to say anything impolite to their learners. Mm. The Thai professors basically said, no, I won't say anything nice to them. They're supposed to be good. They're supposed to do good work. And I will point out if there's something negative right. in their performance. So societal culture comes into a lot. The second question you asked is very, very, very true, which is the hierarchy the teacher-learner hierarchy, and the positions. In fact, there is a, a theory called positioning theory, which I'm mm. reading about right now and seeing if I can apply it in uh, future research. So positioning theory came out of, I think, the world of psychology, obviously, how people interact with each other. So when you and I talk, somehow something in the situation makes us assume a certain position. So you're the interviewer and I'm the interviewee, for example. Yeah. And therefore, you, you think in your mind, my behavior, my language needs to match that of what I think an interviewer right. should do. And then I, I think the other way around from an interviewee. So we take positions and then our speech and that drives our speech and actions. And there is a storyline that evolves in uh, how we are, um, managing our conversation. Mm -hmm. So that is very, very true uh, in our medical education environment, which is hierarchical, which used to be terribly hierarchical. Right. And uh, some and a lot of institutional leaders are making major efforts to flatten the hierarchy a little bit. 
but you're absolutely right it's never ever going to go completely away mm. because a teacher is a teacher a learner is a learner and there will be that gap that psychological space right um and and yet so oh actually and you ask how can you uh, encourage learners to talk back or reflect mm-hmm. it has to come from the whoever is holding the higher mm-hmm. position it cannot the most learners are not going to walk up to the professor yeah. and say i am going to give you feedback on your teaching yesterday <laughs> impossible therefore right. the person the professor needs to go and say look here are my goals this is what i'm trying out i really want you to not only listen to my lecture or my talk but also look at am i achieving my own educational goals mm-hmm. and let me know so if uh, there's growth mindset on both sides right completely makes sense power dynamics another fun and fascinating conversation i love um so when thinking about your work and and what you're talking about about the bidirectional feedback how do you use what you learned about feedback to improve medical education um so there is uh, there are a, i would say not me uh, although i'm peripherally involved with that group but there's mm-hmm. a great group uh, or more than one great group in canada research group um they are bringing in a lot about relationships the teacher learner relationships mm-hmm. and coaching principles and trying to anchor feedback conversations in those two principles so in terms of relationship sometimes you you work with the learner for a long time and then you watch them grow that their relationships make sense to us right but then if you're only going to work with someone for 2 days you can still form a relationship a working relationship and i will say the language is going to be what do you find challenging how mm. can i help you i think this it doesn't have to be exactly that but those two questions can really form an educational alliance with the learner and establish that culture of safety right it's mm-hmm. not which which means you're normalizing that the learner is going to have challenges you're normalizing it not saying oh you're good at this and bad at this no but you're normalizing i notice these are your strengths what do you find challenging how can i help that is the relationship mm-hmm. and then you observe the next should be it's called an r2c2 model 2rs and 2cs the first okay. is relationship and rapport the second r is reaction so after the encounter you sit down allow the learner to react how did that go what did you think what went well what did you think didn't go so well mm-hmm. and that's reaction and reflection so it fostering self reflection the person in power has to do this tell me what you feel and then the first c is content so the mm-hmm. teacher or the supervisor is now saying what they observed okay Great. but then they're doing a check in so this is what i heard you say this is what i um heard uh, the the language you used or this is the body uh, non verbals i observed mm-hmm. can you tell me why you said this or why you did this because not without assuming that that was wrong thing to do you can ask why did you do that just mm-hmm. inquiring gentle respectful inquiry and then come up with a shared decision making towards the end and say okay so now we are in agreement it's looked like we are on the same page in terms of what you did what you said the whole encounter why don't you tell me 
what are two or three things you would like to work on for the next time. Mm. Now, moving on to the second C, which is coaching for growth. Now that you've decided here are two things to work on, let us discuss how, what are the strategies to work on this and improve. Mm. So I think, and there are other models and uh, uh, some Another from uh, British Columbia, they described something called the Educational Alliance, just like the Therapeutic Alliance. Mm -hmm. That's where it was based off of. So essentially, at every step, the learner is completely invested and engaged in the conversation, including making action plans. Mm -hmm. I think this is where we need to go. I have started incorporating so much of this into my day-to-day -day practice. And I've also started doing workshops uh, but which focus on relationships and coaching, mm. not so much on, let me tell you the million things you did yeah. wrong just now. Um, so that's uh, uh, in a nutshell, I would say this is what I'm incorporating into practice. That is fantastic and feels like a model that can be used in many different spaces. Um, exactly. So, exactly. Um, Dr. Ramani, it's been so great having this conversation with you. Thank you for joining us today. And thank you very much uh, for this lively and engaging conversation. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please rate us on iTunes and help us spread the word about the amazing research taking place across the Harvard community. To learn more about the guests on this episode, visit our website, catalyst.harvard.edu slash thinkresearch. Thank you.